ringside. By golly, we're about ready to go with more big action. Thank you very much, and welcome to Georgia Championship Wrestling. I'm Gordon Sully, your host, and we have quite an hour in store for us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Championship Wrestling at ringside. This is Vince McMahon, along with wrestling's only living legend, Bruno Sammartino. Welcome to this week's edition of Mid-South Wrestling Television. I'm your host, Boyd Pierce, another outstanding card. Hey, guys, and welcome back to the Regional Wrestling Podcast, where we talk the territories. As always, I am your host, Ray Russell. Got another big week here of regional wrestling ahead, guys. We'll be bringing back guest co-host Roman Gomez as we begin our voyage into the two-part super show that was Crockett Cup 86. Going to take a look this week at session number one, the afternoon event. First 10 matches there as part of event number one. Going to get into all of those matches here today and so much more. But before we get to the Crockett Cup, going to bring Roman on here in just a couple of minutes to pay our respects to a couple of fallen professional wrestling legends in their own time, of course, talking about Terry Funk and Bray Wyatt. So sit back, relax, as hopefully down the home stretch we share a couple laughs, but maybe early on in the program shed a couple of tears as well. Now, all of that said, guys, just a friendly reminder real quick that you can listen to the Regional Wrestling Podcast and our sister shows, like the Wrestling Memory Grenade, now celebrating episode number 100 this week. Yes, sir, 100 episodes of the Wrestling Memory Grenade. And this week, four special guests on the show, including Stick to Wrestling's John McAdam. You may know a couple of familiar names. And Jamie Ward, Roman Gomez here from Regional Wrestling, going to be part of that 100th edition of the Wrestling Memory Grenade as well. And for the first time ever, I will be talking with my brother as we share our own personal Wrestling Memory Grenade, an explosion of childhood memories throughout the 80s and early 90s. You can also listen to Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, it's Raw versus Nitro, as I chronicle week by week the breakdown of that world-famous Monday Night War of the mid to late 90s into the beginning of the 2000s. And the cat's out of the bag if you guys are part of social media, Facebook, Twitter. I've been posting it for the last week. Wrestling legend Bob Roop. You guys may know that name, especially the ones listening here on Regional Wrestling. Bob Roop has joined the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. A little birdie came to me, said, Bob may be interested in doing something, getting his story out there week to week. And so I had a few conversations with Mr. Roop, and they've been great conversations. And geez, just the stories he's telling me off air, I can't wait for him to share the stories with you guys on air as we will soon be debuting his podcast, The Wrestling Stoop, with Bob Roop. So pop a squat on that Wrestling Stoop when Bob Roop arrives here in the month of September. Stay tuned for further details on that, but you guys can listen to all of those shows and more as part of the WrestleCopia podcast network located over at WrestleCopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com and anywhere your podcast streaming needs are met from Apple to Spotify, Google and beyond. And be sure to follow me on social media for all the latest goings on here at the WrestleCopia podcast network, guys. And you can do so by following me on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it now. Follow me on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. Also, follow and like me, Facebook.com slash Wrestling Grenade. Really getting a following going there over on Facebook. Almost 5,000 wrestling fans now a part of our podcast page over at Facebook. And also, while you guys are at it, be sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel. That's YouTube.com slash Wrestling Grenade. Over 500 videos and counting there on YouTube. And last but not least, before we jump into the show today, 
I ask you guys to give it a try at that $5 all-access tier. I'm talking about WrestleCopia's Patreon account. You can find it there at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. That address again, patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. Yes, we're talking that $5 all-access tier. Get you all sorts of gifts for just $5, including all of my insanely detailed book-like show notes for the Regional Wrestling Podcast, Monday Warfare, and of course, the Wrestling Memory Grenade. Every episode, every show note to every program, pages upon pages of notes, research, and more there. But that's not all, guys. You'll also get early access to many of the podcasts here, as you found out. This one dropped early here over the weekend, as did Grenade Number 100. So yes, you get early access to many of the WrestleCopia podcasts. You can listen days and sometimes as much as a week earlier than the rest of the listeners. Plus remastered versions of the earliest episodes of the Grenade Show covering the 1989 NWA project includes enhanced sound quality and new content that was originally edited out of the initial broadcast, now edited right back in. But that's still not all. You guys also get digital downloads for your viewing and reading pleasure. And of course, my Patreon-exclusive watch-along series covering many past WWF and WCW pay-per-views, Coliseum videos, Saturday night's main events, Clash of the Champions, and so much more. Plus, random bonus video drops, and you're going to love the most recent bonus video drops. A 4.5-hour video drop, in fact, guys, for those who are all-access members, go sign up now. 4.5 hours of great videos, an excellent complimentary piece to this episode of Regional Wrestling, and the next one as well. And you get all of that for the low, low price of just $5. No subscription, cancel any time. Show your support. Give it a try for a month. I think you'll like the content that I offer, and every penny of it goes right back here into keeping the WrestleCopia Podcast Network up and running for the months and the years to come. So I would greatly appreciate your support. And now that we have all of that out of the way, this is the time in the program where I introduce our topic of the day, We cue up a little theme music, and away we go. But we're going to change it up this week, do things a little different. After the recent passing of the legendary Terry Funk, and then the following day, Bray Wyatt, and that's not to discredit Abe Jacobs as well, who passed in the middle of all of that. But I had a conversation with the guest co-host this week, Roman Gomez. We thought it would be a good idea just to share our thoughts, our memories, pay our respects to a couple of legends in their own times. And so for that, we're going to split the show up into two parts. We're going to do the Crockett Cup second, but first we're going to talk all about our memories and our fandom of both Terry Funk and Bray Wyatt. And in order to do that, it's time to bring him onto the show. At this time, I'd like to bring back our many-time guest co-host here on Regional Wrestling, Roman Gomez. Welcome back to the show. Well, thank you for having me, Ray. It's always a pleasure to have you here. We've got a lot of fun stuff to talk about later on here in the show going to get into the first half of Crockett Cup 86. But before we do that here this week, unfortunately, a lot of unforeseen things happening, uh, including, well, first it started off with the passing of Terry Funk. I uh, sent you a message that day and I said, well, I think we're, you know, the kick off the show, talk a little bit about Terry Funk. And then the following day, it was my birthday. I went out to dinner with my wife and uh, I come home and all over the internet, I've learned that, that Bray Wyatt had passed away. And and I don't want to throw away Abe Jacobs in the middle of all that, too. I know Abe Jacobs, a lot of the diehard uh, territory fans and older fans say, hey, give Abe Jacobs a shout out as well. I mean, the guy was in his 90s, lived a good life and wrestled for many, many decades. I remember one of my first oldies tapes, my golden age tapes, had Abe Jacobs versus Lou Thez on it. So it goes back quite a while. But 
uh, the passing of uh, Abe Jacobs as well. But I said, you know, let's talk about Terry Funk. I know everybody else is doing Terry justice. Can't wait to see what Dave Meltzer puts out there for him and things of that nature. And I can't wait to hear what Jim Cornette has to say and things. But one of the truest legends of professional wrestling was Terry Funk. One of my favorites of all time. If there's certain memories you want or anything you want to say right now, you please share it with everybody. Talk a little bit about that legendary Terry Funk. Yeah, like everybody else, I was saddened to hear the news of Terry's passing. Uh, just as a lifelong wrestling fan, he was somebody that no matter what territory he was in or who they had him feuded with, feuding with, you knew that when you saw Terry Funk, you were going to see excitement. You were going to see action. Uh, he cut some of the wildest promos. There's one of him in Georgia Championship Wrestling where he's at like a <laughs> garbage dump and he's got a shotgun in his hand. And just uh, he had an empty arena match in Florida against a guy named Bruce Walkup. Uh, I encourage you wrestling fans to look that up on YouTube. But, uh, yeah, the Funk was just such a legend. And he was one of those rare guys that if he lost, I was telling Steve Carino about this the other day, that if he lost 100 matches in a row, you would still want to see him wrestle. He was that good, that entertaining, that that excellent at his craft. And, you know, you were talking about memories. One on a personal note for me is that I met him at Cauliflower Alley, and I did not know this till years later. His match against Ric Flair at the Great American Bash 89, mm -hmm. I had heard he had a broken bone, like, in his butt. You know, like, he had a broken bone. And... Yeah he still wrestled a phenomenal match at the pay-per-view. So when I saw him at Cauliflower Alley, you know, I told him, I says, you know, I admire you even more because, you know, people plop down their hard-earned money to see that pay-per-view match, and you could have mailed it in, you know, but that wasn't you. You were out there with a broken bone and still busted, you know, you still worked hard and, and everything, and he takes my hand and he's shaking my hand, and he looks me dead in the eye and goes, I want to thank you. I'm sitting there like, for what? And he goes, because of people like you buying the pay-per-views and because of people like you paying for the tickets, I've had the life I've had. I've been able to feed my wife, able to feed my kids, able to go on trips. He goes, because, and he starts cutting this promo on me, you right. know, thanking me as a fan for supporting wrestling. And that's something I'll always remember, like how grateful he was to the fans. Yeah, I only met him on a few occasions, always humble, always kind, always very similar to your experience and far as far as appreciation to the other people out there. You know, I saw, I'm paraphrasing too. I saw somebody make a post of something Funk said uh, about uh, never proclaimed to be the greatest wrestler of all time. He just wanted to make sure people got their money's worth when he went out there. He wanted to know that he gave people their money's worth. And that's kind of, you know, goes in line with what you were saying about the guy. But I mean, talk about reinventing yourself and just, you know, I mean, tough as nails fighter from the Amarillo territory, which is kind of ECW before ECW. It was kind of Memphis before Memphis really was Amarillo, the wild and woolly, uh, bloody brawls of, of the, you know, Dory Funk Sr.'s territory. And Terry came from that, he, you know, a great wrestler, NWA world champion, legend in Japan, comes to the WWF. He already basically retired forever and retired and came back because the money was there. Vince McMahon was, you know, offering him a, you know, a good deal. And he comes back and gets to work with Hogan a little bit, works with JYD, gets to beat up Mel Phillips. I mean, everybody's dream, <laughs> but I mean, he gets an LJN figure. I can't believe, you know, I can't imagine what kind of money you made off of the, you know, residuals and things for, for having a figure. Cause I hear a lot of those guys had some really good checks or, you know, even the guys that weren't top dollar stars, 
just for selling those uh, action figures at the time, the LJN guys. But and then he's you know he's doing doing the movies and what an awesome look Terry you know invented by the by the mid eighties there and the branding iron and all that stuff. And whenever he popped back up, it was great. You were just talking about eighty nine. I covered the entire year of eighty nine NWA on the grenade. It was my first project ever, and it was a pleasure. Uh, from the time Funk came out and pile drive flare on the table till the end of the year, all the great Funk promos, the nonsense that came out of his mouth, the way he would misuse words, but it just made it sound even more cool. Talking about wanting to molest people, but you know, obviously not in that sense. I just love the silly nonsense that came out of the Funker's mouth. I was always a Terry Funk fan, and I feared him. You know, as a kid, I feared him because even though he wasn't the biggest of the wrestlers, he was certainly one of the, you bought, you believed the character. Well, if if he did one of those wild swings at a fan at ringside, you knew he wasn't going to hit the fan, but he would do that wild swing where the fans would be like, oh, shoot, like, this guy's crazy. You know, yeah. we don't want to piss him off. And and when you were talking about 89, that's something, too, I don't think he gets enough love for is his ability on the mic, you know, not only during promos, but when he was an announcer, you know, and I thought he did a solid job as an announcer. Yeah, even, you know, uh, the, the shows he was doing with Chris Cruz and things, they were just fun. Terry Funk out there doing doing the announcing and, and whatnot and kind of retired. The I Quit match, Jim Ross, I saw, just, you know, put that over huge this week after the passing of Terry as well. But, man, just uh, being able to just one big match after another wrestling Ric Flair, even that cage match, you know, with the hokey nonsense, but still fun with Flair and Sting and Funk and Muda. They're Funk and Muda. What a team. Who would have thought? You know, and uh, you just go on to the I Quit match at the Clash of the Champions with Flair. Uh, it's It was a hell of a run. And then Funk pivots over to becoming an announcer there for, for a while, really, and really helps ECW get on the map. And I loved his comeback there near the end of 96. I'll, I, I'll, never, I, I'll never forget this because my cousin, who was a couple years younger than me in 96, it was when Tommy Dreamer, I, he was in that feud with the Shane Douglas, Brian Lee and whatnot. But uh, Tommy Dreamer crosses the street, goes over to his car, reaches in, grabs his grabs his car phone, and he he pulls it out. He makes a call. He's operator. I need to make a personal personal call to the Double Cross Ranch in Amarillo, Texas. And I knew what that. My cousin didn't know what that meant, but I knew what that meant. And I just like I marked out, you know. And I'm like 16 years old or whatever, and I'm marking out like. Like I'm, you know, eight or something. Oh my God, it's Terry Funk. Oh my God, Terry. You know, and <laughs> Terry comes back, and they do the November to remember. Funk goes on, you know, and they do that vignette where he's walking through the, you know, the the grass, and uh, presumably at the Double Cross Ranch there, where his father was buried, and we look at his tombstone, and Terry comes back and wins the ECW title, and it was so fun. Even getting that last run, maybe he wasn't used properly, but that last run with Vince, and even that last run in WCW, it was cool that Terry got to be on TV. Yeah. And, and, you know, Paul E recently, I saw a clip where he was praising Terry Funk, you know, without him, ECW wouldn't have picked up the steam it did, you know? And that was something I alluded to earlier that Funk really didn't care if he won or lost. He right. was going to put on a great show. He wasn't afraid to put people over, you know, where so many, well, I can't lose to this guy or I've been around longer than Funk didn't care about any of that stuff. He was going to go out and give you your money's worth. Well, he really was the validation for ECW because you could say, oh, there's this up-and-coming promotion. I read about it in the magazines. Well, they got Don Morocco. Okay, he's kind of past his prime. They got so-and-so, They got, which is funny because Funk's been wrestling longer than Morocco, but still that name, that Terry Funk. Well, they got Terry, Terry Funk's there. Oh, man, I got to check this out. 
maybe this is something because it was just like a higher level name. No offense to some of those other guys who I loved, you know, at periods in their career. But when you saw Terry Funk's name, all of a sudden it was a new level. It was like, wait a minute, maybe this is bigger time than I thought it was. He really added validation to that ECW brand for sure. Oh, without a doubt. And the thing is with Funk, you know, if you get a hold of any of these handhelds from back in the day, from these smaller gyms or, you know, smaller venues, right. he still gave you a hundred percent. You know, he, he didn't look at it. Oh, there's only 200 people in the crowd. I'll give 30% effort. Like he still went out there and to show you what I think his greatness is. I was firsthand. I witnessed it in town at a local indie. He got a good match out of Virgil. Wow. He made Virgil look good. Just think about how hard that is. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's a NWC or something like that, wasn't it? Yes. Yes. Sorry. The branding iron match. Yep. Yeah, you got very it. Cool, very cool. Yeah. Man, I'd love to go back and I'm going to have to try to check that out. It's it's amazing everything that he did, you know, and was able to help, you know, do in his career and things. So just appreciate him easily. I, a lot of people do Mount Rushmore's. A lot of people do top tens. I don't know that I do. I can really do any of that. It, because you're talking different eras and different this and different that, but certainly at any point in time, if anybody ever came up to me, there's a lot of head scratchers. Well, this is my favorite wrestler. That was my favorite wrestler. And I go, eh, all right. If somebody came up to me and told me Terry Funk was their favorite you know, wrestler of all time, that's one of very few names that I, I wouldn't be, you know, scratch. I'd be like, I could see that. I could absolutely. Terry Funk should be in everybody's top five, you know, if not number one. He certainly should be near the top of everything. He just, he transcended every era. He was able to adapt. Yeah, and uh, Funk was one of those guys that when he came on, you didn't go use the restroom. You didn't go to the kitchen and get a drink of water. Like, oh, shoot, Terry Funk's on. It didn't matter if he was wrestling Joe Blow, the custodian, you know, like, oh, Funk's on? I got to watch this. Yeah, see what he's going to do. But, yeah, so uh, I just wanted to give a proper, uh, you know, send-off here on the regional wrestling. And, of course, Terry Funk, a lot of his career went through the territory era, but it went far beyond that as well. And to one of my favorites of all time, you know, with Terry Funk gone, I'm, I'm, I'm down to just about Jerry Lawler at this point, really with uh, my, my favorites of all time now, uh, still, you know, on, on this side of the earth, I, all I can really say, you know, about that one is just, uh, you know, RIP Terry Funk. I, I said a lot, post a lot of old pictures and videos and things on my social media already. Uh, just trying to show my appreciation to some of the, Stuff that he did throughout his career, from me to his friends and, and, and uh, obviously his family, my thoughts, my prayers, and uh, just, uh, my God, 80 years, or near nearly 80 years here, what a life he lived. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for the memories, Terry. You're, you're truly going to be missed. Absolutely. And, you know, with that, briefly here, just want to touch on the passing also of the son of uh, Mike Rotunda. We're talking about Bray Wyatt, obviously. And uh, the only thing, you know, I, I'll make this one short, sweet to the point from my end. I, I thought that guy was so creative, maybe too creative for his own good sometimes, but I thought he was so creative. And the Wyatt family, Bray Wyatt, the Wyatt family character, that was absolutely probably in the last 30 years, 30 years, that's a long time, probably my most favorite character. I love the Wyatt family. I love the promos. I love the, non, you know, everything. I love the, where they came from. I, Everything about it was perfect for me, and it was in an era where I really would have lost touch with the company. I would have stopped watching wrestling then, I believe, had the Wyatt family not come around. The Shield really didn't do it for me. It was the Wyatts that kept me watching Raw at that point in time. I just, what what kind of promos, it was so good, the delivery of the promos and the character and 
everything about that. Now, I wasn't really into The Fiend or anything that followed and all that kind of stuff. A couple of things that he did, I was like, oh, I was kind of on board seeing where they were going to go with it. But that Wyatt family era, that was the last era of WWE that I watched week to week was was when the Wyatt family were there with, with Harper and Rowan and, and Bray Wyatt all. And then, of course, we lost Luke Harper a few years ago now, and now we lose Bray Wyatt just out of the blue, unfortunately, with, you know, with the heart issues and things I was reading about. But I don't know, you know, if you really followed his product to that degree or what you thought of him. I thought just a hell of a creative character. And I think Triple H even said it before, like, sometimes too creative, which I, I kind of see. <laughs> a little too much going on in that head sometimes, but... It's better to have too many ideas than not enough. And I, again, I go back, the Wyatt family, just one of my favorite things of all time. And I'm very, as a fan, I'm very sad that, you know, I don't, I know that we'll, we'll never see that again. Yeah, it was very unique. And to be honest, I don't keep tabs really on the current product of WWE, but when he was the Bray Wyatt character, I did stop and watch, you know, I mentioned that with Funk that, you know, I didn't go use the restroom. I didn't go get a drink of water. It was the same thing with Bray Wyatt. Just even him walking to the ring and the way the music hit and everybody in the crowd putting their cell phones up to to light up the crowd and uh, the way he talked, it was just, it was different. It was unique. And it was, you know, the only word I can think of, it was cool. You know, it was like, this is cool to watch. Yeah, you you knew you were seeing something different, you know, and it's just so sad, you know, uh, the fact he passed away is sad, you know, at such a young age, 36, and then on the heels of Terry Funk, you know, it's like a left-right, you know, boom, boom, like, wow, we we can't even digest the passing of Funk yet. Now we got to think about Bray Wyatt passing. Like, did that really just happen, you know, at 36 years old? Just tragic, you know, and our thoughts and prayers obviously go to uh, Mike Rotundo, his family and his friends and everything. I can't even imagine what they're going through right now. And just as wrestling fans, Ray, you, I, the public out there, like what a just absolute sucky week for the world of pro wrestling to go through two losses like this. Yeah. I mean, I, I was just happy. I, th I think it was the last time Bray was on TV. He got to do a, a a deal with his brother, Bo Dallas, across the ring. There were, you know, he was dressed up as Uncle Howdy at the time, but Bray had actually gotten Bo back into the company there. And we were getting both of them. I don't, don't know where it was going to go, uh, but it was, it was kind of cool to know that they were there. They were standing side by side. These two brothers had made it together now. And then, you know, Bray goes down with COVID or whatever the case was. And it just unfortunately got worse. And then apparently we, we thought it was getting better based on some of the recent news bits that were coming out from Mike Rotunda and whatnot, but I get, you can't really predict a heart attack. And apparently according to the news outlets, anyway, that's, that's what did him in. And yeah, 36 is just way too young for anyone. But uh, when you, you know, <laughs> I hate to say it, but as a fan, you know, I think one of his catchphrases was let me in. That was the last character I let in, you know, I, that I let in <laughs> that I actually bought into. Right. So it's, I, I did shut up. I did stare at the TV and listen to his every word when he was doing the Wyatt family, what's he going to do this week? Entertain me, Bray. So it's just very unfortunate. You, you know, and at this stage in my life and, you know, watching eighties wrestling, like just a few weeks ago, I went to North Carolina because Larry Zabisco was at a convention. And I remember telling myself like, this might be my last chance to get to meet him. You know, you were talked about Lawler being somebody, you know, that's one of your favorites from the eighties. One of the few guys that's still around. And it just, I'm so glad I went down there to meet Zabisco and, and, uh, you know, we sat at our table and we talked to him and just what a great time that was. And that might be the only time in my life I ever get to meet him, you know? So 
I don't know. I guess I'm, what I'm saying to you fans is, you know, obviously nobody lives forever. And if you get a chance to meet somebody you want to, you know, you might want to roll the dice and do it. Cause I mean, gosh, life is just, it's not promised to anybody tomorrow. You know, it's crazy how quick things can change. Yeah. So uh, I just wanted to get a little segment in here this week for Terry Funk, for Bray Wyatt and just sad, sad week in wrestling history, obviously losing two yeah. stars from two different eras altogether, but just equally uh they they played big parts in, in their you know Bray Wyatt for a shorter period of time obviously but for the periods that they were involved they played big parts in you know in the uh the big time. So it's uh, sad, you, unfortunate you, my thoughts to both all, all their families. You, you know Ray just thinking of something just you know being a fantasy booker or whatever like sure. what if those two were both in their prime don't you think they could have gave us some entertainment if they were both in their prime and got in the ring together or had well, some there, kind of storyline or angle? There wow. Would have been, there would have been some money to be made with that one. That's for sure. <laughs> that would have been fun to see. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, that's going to close out this segment of the show. We're going to come back at you on the other side of this. We're going to head into it, guys. I promised it last time, and here it is this week, Roman. We're going to kick off with the event number one. From the NWA and UWF, the joint promotion show here, it's Crockett Cup 86. All right, and we be back. Ray Russell, Roman Gomez here to tackle the inaugural Crockett Cup from uh, 1986. It's the inaugural Jim Crockett Sr. Memorial Cup Tag Team Tournament, to be exact, a.k.a. the Crockett Cup. April 19th, 1986, the Superdome. That's Superdome Hulk in New Orleans, Louisiana, named in honor of Jim Crockett Sr., obviously, one of the original NWA promoters running the Mid-Atlantic region. Jim Sr. passed away back in 1973. And of course, the NWA now run by his son, Jim Crockett Jr., who is co-promoting this event with the help of the local promoter, Cowboy Bill Watts, here in the Mid-South UWF territory. Now, this, uh, Roman, was a 24-team, wow, single elimination tournament, plus a couple of bonus matches throughout the evening as well, broken down into two events taking place on the same day both events at the Superdome. 
And we're going to talk about event number one here this week on Regional Wrestling. Starting time of that one going to be 2 p.m. in the afternoon. Going to last till 5 p.m. Guaranteed three-hour show with $10 seating. Wow, $10 for a Crockett Cup. Followed by the evening event. I don't have the prices for that one. I'm sure substantially higher, though. Event number two going to start at 7.30 p.m. until question mark, they say, whenever. Could end any time. You, like, you knew it wasn't going to go on for 12 hours, Roman, but you always loved whenever they... They would give you the start time and the, the end time was a question mark because it's like in the back of your mind, like a mark, like a kid, uh, oh, that it could, it could be 10 hours long. <laughs> and I, I've been to a couple of those tapings that uh, should have had a question mark by it. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes it's, it sounds better on paper than, than when you're there. <laughs> yeah. When they run on too long. Sometimes really. more. <laughs> I was just going to say, sometimes more isn't always better. No, that's true. Yeah, I went to a, a Pillman Memorial one time, and I mean, we got to the main event, which was the match of the night. And by that point, I could have cared less who was in the ring. They could have resurrected Andre the Giant, and I would have just been staring <laughs> off into space. I was just done. Six hours of wrestling. No, I just can't do it, man. <laughs> but uh, we don't have that issue here with the Crockett Cup, guys. But now, when the event was first announced... Immediately, some of the original top 10 seeded teams that were announced for this show were changed for various reasons. Ric Flair was removed from his team with Arn Anderson in order to defend his NWA world title. Flair going to be replaced by Tully Blanchard uh, to team with Arn Anderson instead. Now, also, Dusty Rhodes was pulled from the number two seeded team, America's team, alongside Magnum TA Rhodes, removed from the tournament in order to challenge Ric Flair for that NWA title, Rhodes' replacement, you guys might ask, it's going to be Magnum TA teaming with the Hands of Stone, Ron Garvin. Now, I know what you guys are thinking. It's more than a year before Ron Garvin wins the world title. So, really? Ronnie Garvin replacing Dusty Rhodes? But here's a little context for you. If you go back and look at the NWA programming on TBS throughout this time period, Ronnie Garvin was easily the clear-cut number three babyface underneath Dusty and Magnum at this point. Uh, recently even knocking Flair out on TV. So next to Dusty, Garvin was the next best option in Jim Crockett promotions at this time. Now, Roman, the trouble with that is Garvin currently working a broken hand gimmick right now in Crockett land. He had his hand of stone broken by Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard on TV. So that's going to come into play a little bit here throughout the tournament. Context is king. Yeah, I was just going to say, I wonder if that comes into factor later on. Stay we'll tuned. To, we'll have to, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. Not too long, though. Also, I think they were seated like 10th, but the tag team of Dr. Death, Steve Williams, Ted DiBiase was also changed to Doc and Terry Taylor because Ted DiBiase currently on a tour of All Japan, also selling an injury here in the States to the Sheep Herders. Ironically, the All Japan promoter, the Giant Baba, is here for the Crockett Cup. So a little switcheroo there. DiBiase off to All Japan. Baba leaves his own company to work the Crockett Cup. Get a little international flavor here. Yeah, I would have rather seen D.B. Aussie at this point. <laughs> you ain't just whistling Dixie. Uh, funny enough, though, even though three of the top 10 seeded teams were changed, the seedings were never altered. Even worse, another of the top 10 seeded teams won't even compete here tonight. But we'll get into that when we get there. And here's the breakdown as we get rolling, guys. Event number one will feature all. Of the first round matches, the top eight seeds get an automatic buy into the second round. The other 16 teams will compete in the eight first round matches here at event number one. 
and the eight teams receiving a bye in their seeded order. Number one, Hawk and Animal, the Road Warriors. Seed number two, it's Magnum TA and Ronnie Garvin. Number three, World Tag Team Champions, the Midnight Express. Seed number four, Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, representing Canada at seed number five. It's former AWA champion Rick Martell teaming with Dino Bravo. Seed six, the Rock and Roll Express. My God, listen to these teams. Seed number seven from All Japan. We just talked about him. The Giant Baba and Tiger Mask. That's Misawa, guys. And last but not least, seed number eight, the Russian team of Ivan and Nikita Koloff. All of those teams not going to compete in the first round. Yeah, that's... uh... A lot of talent, you know, that's not, that's bypassing the first round there. But the funny thing is, wait till we get to the first round. There's still some big names coming up in the first round as well. It's insane. A lot of the teams involved in this tournament overall. Now, seeds number nine and number 10 are the Sheep Herders and Dr. Death and Terry Taylor, respectively, which just happen to both be local UWF teams. They do compete as part of that first round. So having them seeded really means very little at this point, uh, especially since they have tough first round matchups, both of them. And again, we'll get to that in just a bit, but stay with me here, guys. In addition to the eight first-round matches at event number one, at the end of the first round, there will also be two of the second-round matches to begin round two as part of event number one. So 10 matches in all here on the first event of the day. And the first-round action going to look like this, bracket-wise. It's the Native American team of Wahoo McDaniel and Mark Youngblood to take on Portland Territory representatives Hangman Bobby Jaggers and Mean Mike Miller. We'll also see the Cowboy duo of Sam Houston and Nelson Royal do battle with Central States stars Brad and Bart, the Batten Twins. From there, listen to this one, Roman. The fabulous ones in the first round, that's Stan Lane and Steve Kern taking on the UWF Tag Team Champions, Bobby Fulton and Tommy Rogers, the Fantastics, in the first fucking round. How were neither of these teams seated? And and the thing is, the old cliche, that one would have been worth the price of admission. In that case, the Fabs and Fantastics, I would have paid 10 bucks to see that. Sure, that's worth the price of admission alone for sure. 10 bucks to see exactly. the Fabs. The, but it just kills me that both of these teams easily, right. you know, they, why? it's not even that they're competing in the first round so much. Why are they competing against each other? These guys should both be advancing, but we'll, we'll probably find out why before too long here. And like you said, uh, with those four guys, those are two legit tag teams. Yeah. That's not a makeshift duo. I mean, that's legit tag teams. They have a track record. You know, maybe they should have got the buy. Right. One of them's the local tag team champions, the Fantastics, and the other in the Fabulous Ones. They're in high demand everywhere. We're going we're gonna to get into that when we get to their matchup later here on this episode of Regional Rassum. But also in the first round, part of the same bracket as the Fabs and Fantastics, it's seed number nine, the New Zealand Sheepherders, Luke and Butch, taking on Chavo and Hector Guerrero. Wow, a couple of all-star first-round round matches right in a row here. The Fabs and Fantastics, now it's the Guerreros and the Sheepherders. Yeah, it's just uh, so much to look forward to, and then so many things to scratch your head over, you know, as, as we'll talk about later with some of these matchups. Well, it was uh, bound to fall off a cliff sooner or later. We talked about two great matches there. And then from there, it's Jim Crocker promotion talent. As we're going to see the boogie woogie man Jimmy Valiant teaming with Raging Bull Manny Fernandez to take on the team of Baron von Raschke and Conga the Barbarian, part of Paul Jones's army. Very timely at the time, the Valiant versus Paul Jones army feud. Yeah, they they had a few billion uh, clashes along the way. Yeah, just a few years worth of matches to say the least. Also in the first round, number ten seed from the UWF Doctor Death teaming with Terry Taylor 
taking on the Memphis-style team of Nature Boy, Buddy Landell, and the superstar, Bill Dundee. That one could be fun. Yeah, and it, and it is, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, but yeah, that was a good one. Absolutely. And this had to be a late entry, but I ain't complaining, as it's Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer teaming with Rick Steiner. Fun. Taking on the weird pairing of Coco Beware and the Italian Stallion. It's like, let's see who's left and throw him in there against uh, Rick and Buzz. It's Coco and the Stallion. Really, this whole matchup feels like, well, these are teams, both of these teams are really teams that I think maybe could have been eliminated in the first round. These are the teams that could have been wrestling the Sheep Herders, the Guerreros, the Fantastics, the Fabs, or what have you. Very odd match, but very cool to see Buzz Sawyer and Rick Steiner get a little nod here. Yeah, and they had been teaming a little bit together in the UWF, so there was a little familiarity with them, but the Coco Italian Stallion, you know, a UWF guy with an NWA, it just, yeah, odd pairing to say the least. And then uh, to end round one, it's uh, more JCP talent slapped together. The heel duo of gorgeous Jimmy Garvin and Black Bart going to team up against the UWF's Dave Peterson and Brett Wayne Sawyer, who actually have been teaming some as of late a little bit here on Mid-South TV. Yeah, and what, what mains uh, Jimmy Garvin and Black Bart had? My just, gosh, they combined, they probably weighed 450 pounds, and 400 of it was hair. Yeah, wow. Yeah, there you go. There you go. It's uh, quite a, quite an odd pairing. Jimmy Garvin, just uh, talk about a clash of styles. We'll have to see how that works, <laughs> works out for that. I don't know how that, that team came about, but just a couple of excellent matches on paper here in the first round, though, that we talked about, and a few other potential sleepers there as well. We'll have to wait and see how things shake out. Now, some of the matches may take place in different order, but that was the bracket set up. But with all of that said, let's get to it, Roman. If you're ready, we'll head into the first round of the Crockett Cup 86. Let's do it. All right, let's do it, guys. First round action. Matches have 20-minute time limits. The referees for event number one, Carl Fergie and Tommy Gilbert of the UWF, and Earl Hebner, not yet of the WWF, guys. Nope, at this time still with JCP. Ring announcer here. Did you recognize Bruce Pritchard out here as the ring announcer for the Superdome? Brother love. <laughs> Absolutely. I love you. Got it right. And remember, $10 general admission seating for the afternoon show. Only draws. Ready for this, guys? 3,500 fans. Bringing in somewhere around $40,000. Not a great gate for uh, event number one. But, you know, I, I think it's one of those things where, do you want to see the beginning of the movie or the end of the movie? You know, if given the choice, I think most people would want to see the end of the movie, you know, and then, and who knows, people could have been doing stuff with their family or, you know, it's in the afternoon and, but yeah, definitely uh, not as many people as I'm sure they were hoping for on the afternoon event. And are you ready to have your mind blown guys? That $10 in 2023 money after inflation would only be $28 to attend the fricking Crockett cup. I don't know about you, Roman, but first show, last show, whatever. 28 bucks for the Crockett Cup, I'm there. Oh, heck yeah, definitely, you know, and, and you already knew, you might not have known all the matchups going in, you know, per se, but you knew a lot of the talent, you know, that was going to be there, and yeah, definitely would have paid 28 bucks in today's money for it. So you're running the Superdome, and you're only drawing 3,500 fans. Now, granted, this is kind of really the, the preliminary show, if you will, but that means the gross for event number one, the afternoon show, in 2023 money made around... $112,000, which is still not shabby for a bunch of first-round matches, and most of the quote-unquote main talent not appearing yet. Yeah, and, you know, th this was in an era, too, where there was closed circuit. I'm surprised Watts didn't try to, 
go that route at some point, you know, where people can go to their local coliseums and watch it on clothes. You know, maybe it costs too much money to do all that like Vince did, but that's just something I'm thinking about all these years later. Yeah. And I think that probably would have been more on, on Crockett's point too. He would have had to have thrown down some more money. And I don't know that this, this whole ordeal makes enough to substantiate going to that, but that would have been a good way to try to get some of the money back, especially as hard as both promotions were selling it at the time on their, their TV. But uh, while, while there was a heavily edited down two hour version of both events condensed to a single video release on Turner home entertainment or whatever it was back in 86, a few years back, the WWE network randomly released damn near the entire event unedited as a hidden gem. Now only missing from the hidden gym were the first five first round matches, the first five matches of event number one, the remaining five matches from event number one and the entire event from the second show is shown in its entirety as a hidden gem. Now, luckily those five matches missing from the WWE network were shown in progress on that home video uh, released by Crockett many years ago. So at least the last couple minutes of those early matches still exist. So in its most complete form, guys, me and Roman, we went back, we watched the entire event, and now we're going to break it all down for you here today, beginning with event number one. So here we go with the first round, Tony Schiavone and David Crockett on commentary here for Coliseum, well, not Coliseum video, sorry, guys, but for home video here for the NWA. And the very first matchup, it's Wahoo McDaniel teaming with Mark Youngblood taking on the Portland duo of Hangman Bobby Jaggers and Mike Miller. As highlights begin the matchup, it's Wahoo and Youngblood chopping the hell out of poor Mike Miller. Jaggers tags in and the heels take over, getting the heat on Youngblood as we cut to the Hangman and Mark colliding center ring, leading to the hot tag to Wahoo McDaniel. Miller tagged in as well. Wahoo in a chopping madman, dropping both heels down, plastering Miller with that big Wahoo chop across the chest, another falling chop to the head for good measure, and the Native American team going to get the win. We only see about two minutes of a seven-minute and 36-second match. They essentially, they cut out the entire heat segment of the match, which is really whatever, and the quote-unquote Indians, as they say here on the show, will advance to take on the number one seed Road Warriors in round number two, and I do not like their odds. Yeah, I was going to say, Wahoo and Mark Youngblood were two-time NWA World Tag Team champions, but I don't think anybody expected them to win the tournament. And I think part of that was because when they had teamed up was a couple years prior, and their title reigns were so short. You know, they held the belt for a month, they regained it, and then three days later, they lost it to Ivan and Carnoodle. So even though they were a formidable team, I don't think anybody saw Wahoo and Youngblood advancing to the uh, finals or even winning the tournament. I appreciate and respect everything that Wahoo ever did in the business. But at this point, let's face it, he's well past his prime. We're not really going to see a whole lot of uh, great action out of Wahoo. And then Mark Youngblood, like you said, he was given that push initially when he first appeared in Crockett. But at this point, he'd been gone forever. So he just pops up out of nowhere as part of this random tag team in the tournament. And you can't really take them seriously, but what really confused me was like, wow, of all the teams they had to select, what an odd choice to take on the Road Warriors, because you know Wahoo ain't taking the bumps. Exactly. <laughs> but nevertheless, Wahoo, Mark Youngblood will advance into round two, going to take on the Road Warriors later on in the night for the second part of the Crockett Cup. But right now we roll on here with event number one. It's the Batten Twins, Brad and Bart Batten from Central States Territory, taking on Nelson Royal and Sam Houston. 
as quick action highlights leads to the Battens working over Houston until one of the Battens misses as a corner charge, goes shoulder first into the ring post. From there, the Battens, they try a double backdrop, but Houston, he flips over, lands on his feet, drop kicking both of the Battens down, and a hot tag out to Nelson Royal. Royal comes in, sending the Battens into the ropes, but one of the Battens, he goes down after hitting the ropes awkwardly. His head dips underneath it and kind of takes a nasty bump. I wrote, oof, it was just not pretty. And then it's Sam Houston back in with the Bulldogs scoring the win over the Batten Twins. Two minutes shown of an eight minutes and 17 second matchup. And the Cowboys going to go on to beat the number three seed Midnight Express as part of round two right here later on here on this event number one. So rest assured, Midnight Express fans, they'll be here before this first show is over. The other U.S. Express, <laughs> the Batten yes, Twins. The there you go. And it's... It's amazing that they show just a couple minutes of this match and they couldn't edit out that missed spot where he ran into the ropes and almost got decapitated <laughs> or slipped under. Whatever like, like you couldn't have edited that out? I, absolutely. Yeah, good call. Yeah, but the Bantons, they, they were always so competent. I think maybe they came along just too late in, in the territory era because I felt like they could have done a little more in that territory world. They would have never, at the, based on their size, they were never going to make it big time with Vince or anything like that, but I just felt like they were, obviously they had the whole twin thing going for them also, but they were just competent wrestlers in the ring. They just really lacked that oomph. I, I don't know if it would have went over, but just thinking about them as twins, like maybe they could have turned them heel and they could have done the illegal guy in the ring and, oh, that's the wrong baton. Or, uh, yeah, they, they, they looked alike, but uh, yeah, you just didn't see them going on to win like the world title or anything. They were competent, but... They were kind of going to stay in that uh, small, like, Central States type area. You know, they weren't going to branch out and go to a major federation. Yeah, if I remember correctly, they do uh, do a little bit of heel work in Puerto Rico, which was, was kind of fun if I remember my videos correctly. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so you make a good point there. They're twins. It just seems like a perfect scenario for them. But, yeah, they, they were never going to be the big stars of any of the, the promotions, but they were certainly good hands to have on your on your roster. Right. Uh, up next, oh, here we go, Roman. Boogie Woogie Man, Jimmy Valiant, woo, mercy, baby, teaming with Rage and Bull, Manny Fernandez, taking on the duo of Baron Von Raschke and the Barbarian with Paul Jones in their corner, oh, but he's not alone. Also accompanying them to ringside is Shaska Watley, no longer Pez. First match on the show with a background storyline. Jimmy Valiant deep in that feud with Paul Jones' army at this point, and not only is Jones out there, but as I said, Shaska Watley ringside as well. Pez Watley recently turned on the Boogie Woogie Man to align himself with Jones's army and rename himself Shaska in the process. What did you make of Shaska Watley back in the day? I, I thought he was funny when he was in the jive tones, you know, when he would execute like a hip toss or something and kind of do that cocky strut around the ring. I thought he was kind of entertaining. I mean, he wasn't somebody I was going to take too serious in that role, but he was he was fun to watch. You know, it was later on in the 90s when, you know, tape trading really took off for me that I was able to see some of Pez's stuff in Poffo's ICW. And that's where I really began to. I, I always was a Pez fan. I thought he was good in the ring. One of the greatest dropkicks there ever was. But uh, being able to go back and watch when he was really utilized. And this was earlier in his career in uh, Poffo's ICW. Just really great work, really great sell jobs uh, on the mic. You know, when he was dressed up by Garvin, dressed up in drag and tied to a chair or whatever that was. Just always a fun time. Pez Wally was up for anything. Even when he came into events for work the year there in 1990 as enhancement stuff, it was always cool seeing him on the screen knowing he still had a job. So 
I was always a Pez Watley guy. But were you a Willie B. Hurt guy? Well, that, that um, the jury's still out on that this many years later, Roman. I got to go back and watch that again. Damn that Eddie Gilbert. But uh, we'll roll on here. Highlights here of this uh, tag team matchup. Going to show the baby faces control early, but the heel's going to take over until the Baron telegraphs a backdrop, eats a rage and bull kick to the chops. Fernandez then hot tag out to Woo Mercy Boogie Woogie in the ring. Valiant doing his thing, leading to a four-way melee. Fernandez tossed to the floor. While the heels double-team Valiant, and while Jones and Shaska try to get at Valiant, reaching through the ropes, Rage and Bull back up on the apron from the other side, slingshot sunset flip back in the ring on Barbarian, going to get the one, two, three. And even though Valiant was the legal man, who cares? Because at least it's over. Yeah, what they did show on the videotape version wasn't bad, but uh, this might have been one of those matches that benefited from being edited. I was going to you know, say, maybe if we saw the whole thing, we wouldn't have thought so highly of it. I was going to say two minutes and 30 seconds shown of a 11 minute and 20 second match. Longest match on the card thus far. No, thanks. <laughs> I'll, I'll take the edited version in this instance. Uh, as we, uh, Jimmy Valiant, Manny Fernandez do advance and they're going to go on to take on the number eight seed, the Russians, Ivan and Nikita Koloff in the second round later tonight. Valiant, no stranger to working with uncle Ivan did it for about a year there. Back in the early 80s, but man, I would love to see Valiant get in the ring and eat a, a Russian sickle from Nikita Koloff. I'd love to see him just lay down there and gyrate for about a, a minute or two. Jim, that classic Jimmy Valiant cell job. <laughs> yeah, so he'd squirm around and have convulsions. <laughs> you know, he did that so bad on an episode of Mid-Atlantic, my son died laughing. I would, I'd never seen it before myself till he was watching it earlier this year. The Briscoes or whoever it was, they slammed Valiant out on the concrete just as soft too soft, too light, too protective to where it looked absolutely fake. But Valiant's down there squirming and squiggling so ridiculous <laughs> that the camera catches David Crockett laughing his ass off. Like even David Crockett can't hide the laughter of Jimmy Valiant's cell job on the concrete out there in the studio. It's amazing. Fun stuff there by the Boogie Woogie Man. <laughs> but uh, I digress as we got a lot more to talk about here in round number one. Some good matches upcoming now, Roman. After After that Paul Jones Army match, we move on. It's going to be seed number 10. That's Dr. Death and Terry Taylor taking on the duo, the very capable duo of superstar Bill Dundee and the nature boy, Buddy Landell. Joined in progress, we get highlights to start with a throwback to Starcade 85 as the first two men in. Terry Taylor and Buddy Landell going to start it out for their teams, leading to the heels taking over and some good old school double teaming from there. Taylor, though, breaks a Dundee sleeper hole with a jawbreaker, and it's hot tag time. To Steve, Dr. Death Williams, and Landell in as well. Dr. Death taking on both opponents, dumping Dundee to the outside, and then plowing Landell over with a pair of awesome shoulder tackles that Buddy, he just bumps like a champion for. And then the Oklahoma Stampede, going to give the baby faces the win here. Only two minutes shown, criminal, of a 12-minute match. And referee Earl Hebner here, sweating his ass off. Evidently, you broke into my house in the middle of the night and looked at my notes because I used some of the exact same verbiage. I put good old skill heel work by Dundee and Landell as they yeah. double team Taylor mm -hmm. as the ref is trying to get Doc out of the ring, you know, and it's just something that the old school fans can appreciate how 
tag matches worked back then. You know, that was done nicely. And this is one of the five matches that were only on the videotape and not on the Peacock WWE version. I would have loved to seen this thing in its entirety. Absolutely. With these four in the ring, the crowd had a vested interest. This would have been a fun one to see the whole entire match. Buddy Landell had those working shoes on, too. He was coming to try to get a job because the bumps he was taking, not that he had an option, but the bumps he was taking for Dr. Death were next level. I mean, I won't compare him to Shawn Michaels, but he was taking backflip bumps off those those uh, shoulder tackles and things. Just master class bumping here by Buddy Landell. Great sell job. And again, criminal, only two minutes shown of that 12-minute match. And unfortunately, yes, this much like the next match, only on the home video version. So we don't have the complete matchup, which is unfortunate. And uh, based on Earl Hebner, you know, at the end of the matchup, it looked like he had just, you know, went through a 60-minute Iron Man match. I wrote, did the Superdome not have air, air conditioning? Or mm. uh, were they just saving it for event number two? I guess the $10 seating doesn't include AC. Yeah, I didn't notice that with the Hebner. I guess I'll have to go back and look for that. Uh, he was sweating profusely. He was, uh, it was more so than IRS. That's how bad he was sweating. That's a lot of sweat. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Rotundo was a known sweater. He could sweat through anything. He, he, that's, I think that was the rib. That's why they always stuck him in, like, you know, suits and things. Like, oh, he, I hear mm-hmm. you sweating a singlet, pal. Let's see what you do with the dress clothes and a tie. Yeah. Good shit, pal. So I wrote, this match is one that, unfortunately, we don't get the entire match for that I would have loved to have seen. Landell's bumping was awesome here. Somehow we get more Valiant and Paul Jones Army match than this one. But that's likely, Roman, because that was relevant to Jim Crockett Promotions. And this match, unfortunately, was not. Uh, Doc and Taylor, though, they will advance to meet number five seed Rick Martell and Dino Bravo. And just looking at it on paper, Rick Martell versus Terry Taylor, Rick Martell versus Dr. Death, the stuff dreams are made of. But we'll have to wait and see how that plays out in event number two. For now, we're going to roll on seed number nine, the Sheep Herders with Jack Victory in their corner, taking on Hector and Chavo Guerrero. Straight away, highlights show the Herders in control, but Hector using his speed to take over briefly, but those rule-breaking New Zealanders quickly regain that control as we cut to Chavo Guerrero now in. But Hector... Back inside as well, dropkicking both herders down. Ten minutes announced as being elapsed at this point, at which point we've only seen about 90 seconds of action. So a lot of editing here. Now on commentary, Tony Schiavone does mention that Jack Victory and the New Zealand flagpole at that point had come into play multiple times during the match. So we know there was some shenanigans early on, at least thanks to Tony. Uh, As Hector, though, locks Butch in an abdominal stretch, looks like he may be looking to rock back into a pinfall But Luke is in, which leads to a four-way melee. Jack Victory then up on the apron, but Chavo knocking him off. And as referee Tommy Gilbert admonishes Chavo, the Herders with an illegal double clothesline behind the ref onto Hector Guerrero. The Sheep Herders going to steal the win over the Guerreros. Two minutes and 30 seconds shown of a match that went 11 minutes and 12 seconds. You know, one thing I had in my notes that I thought the crowd was kind of dead. Until the finish, you know, when victory hopped up on the apron and the flagpole came into play. But it was kind of a dead crowd, surprisingly, for this match. I'd say of all the matches thus far, this was probably, you're, you're right, it was, it was, the crowd was a little more. But they were so explosive, and I'm not making excuses here. But they were so explosive in that dock match. I don't know if they were just kind of trying to calm down a little bit. Because to me, on paper, even though the dock match was probably a little better based on what Dundee and um, uh, drawn a blank, uh, Landell could do. I still feel like and the herders weren't going to be bump machines like those two. I still feel like on paper, 
this is the highest quality match up until this point on the show, name value wise, Sheep Herders and the Guerreros. Yeah, and you know, you you brought up an excellent point too with who they followed because oftentimes when an angle would be done on TV where somebody would get attacked or bloodied, they would follow that up with kind of a, a lower card match or, you know, two kind of enhancement guys or something of not important so they could talk to get the storyline over. Normally, you don't follow up a hot angle with another hot angle, you know, so maybe you're onto something there. Maybe the crowd was a little spent this from that would previous have been, Stock and This Taylor would have been match. the perfect time for the Coco Beware Italian Stallion match or the Dave Peterson-Brett Stallion right. match, you know. Yep. Kind of odd placement because we get three great matches, a really good first round match. The the three that I would have came to see, we get those in a row. And it's, you know, that's, that's a little unfortunate because then we kind of flounder out at the end there with a couple of not so good ones, but you guys will see what I'm talking about. So we get Doc and Taylor over Landell and Dundee. And now here we go. For those curious, this was the last match. The Sheepherders Guerrero's match was the last match reviewed in the edited form. From this point forward, thanks to the WWE Network, the rest of the two-event supercard will be covered in its entirety, the entire matches. Unfortunately, we just miss having complete versions of that Doc Taylor and Guerrero's match as well. Now, the Herders, they're going to go on, though. They'll meet the Rock and Roll Express in round two. I wrote, boy, did the Sheep Herders draw the short stick, the Guerrero's right out of the gate, and then the Rock and Roll's in the second round. That's not good for a number nine seed. Exactly. And if I could just preface something here, Ray, that you and I are both covering the videotape version and the Peacock version. Right. And I just want to let you fans out there know that the Peacock version had no commentary. Right. So if Ray and I refer to something on commentary, that's because it was on the videotape. And sometimes they would help explain an angle for the Crockett Cup that if you're watching like, well, why did they mention that? You know, because they mentioned it on the videotape. So I just wanted to preface that a little bit. No, very good, very good point there because, yeah, we did go through both. I wanted to dissect everything the best way I could. And, I, you know, we both went through, we watched the Coliseum, or I keep calling it Coliseum. Sorry, guys. The home video version as well as the Peacock version, the complete matches. As you pointed out, no commentary on, on those versions, but they are, they feature all the matches in their complete form. So that's, you know, we went back and, and did it that way. And it was uh, very enjoyable. Uh, it's the first time I ever actually was forced to sit through that whole show in its entirety in one sitting. And, and it was it was fun taking the notes. It, ma- it made the, the time progress. It wasn't like a slow motion deal as some of these handhelds and house shows and things can be when you're watching them. Keeping the notes with it, it really kept, helped things progress. And it enabled me to pay attention to the story that was being told in every match. So it was fun. Yeah, and, and it's funny, you know, at least myself, I was thinking when I watched the matches with no commentary, there were times where I'm like, man, it'd be nice to have commentary. And then you would hear David Crockett on the home video version. I'm like, eh, maybe it's better without commentary. <laughs> you know, like, so you really needed the right announcers, you know, like we'll talk about later on with the Slater and the Duggan, you know, when we get yeah. to that, that would have been a perfect opportunity for Jim Ross to do commentary, it but been, yeah. it's a Turner home video. Right. So, you know, that might've came into play, obviously. Oh, most definitely. Uh, we roll on, though, and easily the, the big match of the first round up next. UWF Tag Team Champions, the Fantastics, taking on Stan Lane and Steve Kern, the fabulous ones who were also recently in the UWF in and out. And the Fabs, even though recently in the UWF, they left for the sunnier and easier trips of the Florida Territory, guys. Can't say that I blame them. Tensions flare right out of the gate between the two teams here, and it's criminal that only one of these teams can advance because 
neither one of these teams belong to be eliminated in the first round, but it is what it is, and there's a reason behind it. We'll get to that later on. Uh, as the match gets going, feeling out from both teams to start as both teams try to work the arm of one another, and they wear each other down. Fantastic still coming out on the better end there for the first several minutes of the matchup. Bobby Fulton, even with a Fargo strut here as the Fantastics are on top, but finally, Fulton taking a nasty bump out to the floor about eight minutes into the matchup, and the Fabulous One's finally going to take control, and now it's Steve Kern's turn for the Fargo strut, as we hear 10 minutes have elapsed in the match. From there, Bobby Fulton gets pantsed. Yes, his back of his trunks get yanked down, exposing the rear end by Steve Kern before Lane nails a super kick, sending Bobby Fulton back to the outside once again, and Bobby, he gets up and sells for the camera. What? <laughs> I don't know if you were paying close attention, but Bobby gets knocked out the second time. And he stands up and the camera's right there. And he's shaking and he's got this face. I mean, it's just overselling how angry and he was. It was almost looked like he was trying to hulk up there from Bobby Fulton. Uh, that's there. what I have in my notes. Yep, he hulked up. <laughs> it didn't work too well, but he still he still gave it his give it his all. Bobby sell for the camera there, re-entering the ring, and it's a uh, Fulton and Kern colliding, leading to. You guessed it, guys. The hot tag. We see so many of those here. And this, I appreciate the matches that didn't have a hot tag because they realized there was going to be 47 of them throughout the night. And uh, But we get one here. It's hot tag time to Tommy Rogers. Rogers in, and he's all Bonzo Gonzo on the Fabulous Ones. And a tag back to Bobby Fulton. Steve Kern going to try for a backdrop on Tommy Rogers, but Rogers flips over, lands on his feet. But this was all a distraction to allow Fulton from behind with the reverse rolling cradle. It's the one, two, three on Steve Kern. Match went 14 minutes, 19 seconds, and the fabulous ones eliminated as the Fantastics will advance. And Stan Lane did very little here. It was the Steve Kern show most of the way through. You know, and, and this was, you know, we had talked about the fabulous ones in Rock and Roll Express on one of our UWF episodes. Like, yeah. what a dream match. You know, it's fans. This had the same feel, the Fabs and Fantastics. And for years, you know, you wanted to see it, and you finally get the home video, and you get a couple minutes. You know, like, you got to be kidding me. I want to see the whole match. So to see this thing in its entirety was great. And this illustrates the way wrestling fans are, you know, depending on who it is doing what. This is a perfect example. The Fabulous, or I'm sorry, the Fantastics, they spent a lot of time working an arm bar and even did the heel move of clapping their hands to make it sound as if they made a tag. Yeah, they were having fun. And then the Fantastics <laughs> would then change partners without the refs seeing it, and, you know, everybody cheered. But had it been done for the heels, they would have been cheaters. But it's just kind of funny how fickle fans are. If your favorite's doing it, it's okay to cheat, you know. But that was just <laughs> something that popped up out of me on here. And the, the fabulous ones were really aggressive. You know, Kern was biting and kicking and – and, but one thing I did like about this was David Crockett, and rightfully so, always gets criticized as commentating like a fan. You know, he's always rooting for guys and whatnot. Right. Sure. But on this tape, he actually said that the Fabs are being aggressive because there's $1 million on the line, so they will pull out all the stops. He was actually being a decent commentator by saying that, you know, it's for a million dollars. Of course, they're going to give it their all. So I thought that was good on Crockett to say that. To be fair, though, David Crockett didn't have a dog in this fight. Neither one of these guys were JCP. So he he right. kind of, he played it correctly, which is how he should have done all the matches. But 
So clearly, when he doesn't have a reason to be biased, the biased babyface character for Crockett, we can see what, what you know David Crockett's capable of doing. Then again, if you go back and watch the very earliest Mid-Atlantic on, on Peacock or WWE Network, Crockett is a fairly normal commentator, to be honest with you. It's not until he disappears there for a while in 82 and comes back that he has reinvented his character into this, look at him, look at him, look at him, kick him like a dog, you know, and all this Kick him like a dog, Tony. Kick him like a dog. Watch this. Watch this. You know, and all these things. That really didn't come into play until he returned. So it's almost like he reinvented himself as an announcer, which is unfortunate because prior to that, he was a fairly normal announcer. I'm not saying he was great, but he was fairly normal. So he, after a decade at that point, I'm a decade and a half here, he should have an idea of these things like you mentioned, which was really cool. It's very different. And it was nice to hear David Crockett be normal announcer here. Yeah, yeah, it was. And uh, the camera work on the Peacock version, you know, there were things that they showed and things that they missed. And I really wish they would have missed the shot. Like, I did not need to see Bobby Fulton's backside. You oh, know, man, we, we could have done right without that, you know. Camera was right yeah, up in there. <laughs> and, you know, like, okay, that's something that could have edited. But, and, you know, and then there's some important parts in other matches that we'll talk about. Right. So my notes here for this one, I wrote really fun, but basic match, two legendary teams, four top wrestlers making the simplest things fun. At one point in the match, Bobby Fulton, just working Steve Kern's arm early on, Kern reaches out to grab Stan Lane's hand for help and they grab hands, they clasp hands and Fulton then just jerks Kern back, which causes Kern to yank Stan Lane into the ring. Just a fun little spot, very simple, really nothing to it, but just it was basic but Steve Kern doing, you know, a few nice moves in between, not a whole lot to the match overall, sadly, unfortunately. But uh, a night off for the Fabulous Ones, only working event number one. They're eliminated. And a quick payday on their way out. Uh, following day, get this, Roman. The reason, I'm, I'm assuming the reason they, they finished up here at event number one is they had to catch a plane because the following day they appear at AWA's Wrestle Rock to take on Mike Rotunda and Barry Windham. And then it's back to the Florida Territory the following day. So, Needless to say, even here in 1986, the fabulous ones in high demand. Yeah, and they weren't the only ones. I, I did a count. There were six others that wrestled at Wrestle Rock that were part of the Crockett Cup. And Martel didn't wrestle at both, but he appeared at both, you know. So, yeah, that was kind of interesting. I started thinking there was a total of eight guys that worked both shows. Okay, see, I didn't even dig that deep, but I did remember, you know, the Fabs worked both shows, and because I, I always wondered, why didn't they work the second event? And I thought maybe it had something to do with trying to be ready for the following day, the other big event. But it's it's kind of funny, you know, specifically, they were kind of like, a, I don't want to call them a touring attraction at this time, but everybody wanted a piece of them. If you had a big event, you, you called on the Fabulous Ones. They were just, you know, larger than life in the tag team division at this point. Unfortunately, really, they just kind of stick around Florida after this, though, 86 and 87, uh, because they were just happy with the weather, really, down there and whatever they were getting paid. Yeah, and then, then I had heard at some point Stan Lane got involved in real estate, and he, you know, kind of backed away from wrestling a little bit. And uh, but one one thing I did want to add, just I thought the finish was done to perfection, just the timing of everything that was done. You know how Rogers landed on his feet, you know the roll up for Kern, and just I thought it was just a really smooth, nice looking finish to this match. No, it was a, it was one fluid motion, and I felt like I had deja vu. Now they either did that exact same sequence. I'm like the last TV that we did in UWF, or maybe I watched this match unknowingly recently because when I saw the spot, I remembered the spot uh, vividly. 
So I'd seen yes. it recently. Yeah. But I mean, it was to perfection. I mean, you want to talk about a masterclass tag team. You, you can't, I don't care how well you know your partner. You've got to be in sync to pull that spot off. I mean, it was all one fluid motion and you got three guys involved. Exactly. If you're off by a nanosecond, you know, you could be backdropping somebody onto your partner or, you know, like all kinds of crazy things could happen. But yeah, this, this was smoothly done and this was done. We did cover that on another finish. It, you know, I can't remember what it was. It, it might have even been the rock and rolls. Fanta- uh, no, it wasn't that one. But yeah, we have seen that finish before. Uh, but fabulous ones. Easily the biggest quote unquote name team to be eliminated in round one. Fantastics advance. They're going to take on the number four seed Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard of the Horsemen in the next round. And I thought the Sheepherders, they had it bad in their first couple of matches. But rough schedule for the Fantastics as well. First. The fabulous ones, and now it's the horsemen. Yeah, but for us fans, hey, bring it on. We'll take all kinds of matchups like that. Fans can be greedy. <laughs> yeah. yeah I'll, I'll take I matches. mean, would you rather see them or Coco, Coco and. Oh, don't slight the Coco Beware but, uh, Italian Stallion fans out there now. Could have been the next up and coming tag team. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, uh... well, I'll <laughs> yeah. tell you what. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I'm sure we'll have some good comments about this next match. Yeah, well, I don't know about if you mean by good. Uh, well, well, we'll wait and see. I won't, I won't get into it yet. As it is the next match, going to see Rick Steiner teaming with his mentor, Buzz Sawyer, out here, taking on the duo of Birdman Coco Beware and the Italian Stallion is Bruce Pritchard announcing Coco from Motown City. I don't know that he can be from a town and a city at the same time, but I also always thought that Coco was from Tennessee, but apparently now from Motown. Yeah, I didn't, didn't understand that one either. It was kind of weird. But here we go. Let's uh, see where my notes here for this one. It says, Coco starts with Buzz and almost immediately out of the gate, where with a drop kick, and Buzz takes that no-look dive through the ropes. I read it every time. Jesus, Buzz. And it, it's almost like it's happening live, because every time I'm like, man, you're going to break your neck. Clearly he doesn't. But every time I see it, just what an insane bump Buzz Sawyer would take through those ropes. That no-look dive upside down through the ropes. And the thing is, he could have probably done it in his sleep. You know, like he, it didn't look awkward. It was, no, I mean, he, it made you ooh and ah, but somehow you knew, like, he's done this before. Let's just say he's done it enough to where he, he, he knows what he's doing. I don't know how you can know what you're doing with that spot, but let's just say he does. You have to do it for the first time at some point, Roman, and then you have no idea what you're doing. I mean, so talk about dangerous. No, There was a man that was afraid of nothing in the ring was, was Buzz Sawyer. Yeah, he, he. I wasn't going to say liquid courage, but he he might have had a little help. You know, I don't think he would have felt it had he landed on his head with some of the stuff he was taking. Powdered courage, perhaps. Perhaps you know, it comes in a package of powder. At least, yeah. That's, there that's, you go. That's a good word. <laughs> yep. The, so the heels here, they're doing all sorts of bumping around in the ring early on for the baby faces. Buzz Sawyer showing off his stuff. Not only is he strong as a bull. But he's agile as well here, not only leaping in the air, great height for his leapfrogs, but at one point he was jumping into the air equally as high for his drop downs, just showing off what he can do here. Insane talent was Buzz Sawyer, a lengthy side headlock spot as well. Italian Stallion grounding Buzz here with a headlock. Coco back inside finally, and Sawyer with a nasty forearm shot, sending Ware out to the floor where there's a suplex on the concrete to the Birdman. Now the Peacock version shows it from behind. Not a great way of uh, seeing the spot, but if you watch the home video version, looks good from the front end. That suplex on the floor takes the Birdman down for a lengthy period of time on the outside, but Coco finally back up. Mad Dog suplexing him back inside for a two count as we learn that 10 minutes 
has elapsed at this point. Clearly, they're eating up time on the show. Whatever they got left, giving this match 10 minutes at this point, is Rick Steiner back inside belly-to-belly suplex, gets himself also a two-count on Coco, as the heels continue to work over Ware with a grounded bear hug. Lots of eating the clock here. Buzz then to the top rope. Not a disqualification here in Jim Crockett Promotions. So the Mad Dog taking advantage, climbing to the top rope for that flying Mad Dog splash. But Coco out of the way. And Buzz Sawyer misses. And it's hot tag time to eek, the Italian Stallion who comes in and does next to nothing. Stallion barely getting up in the air for a leapfrog, but he's caught anyway. And pure power as Buzz Sawyer has to still turn it to that mad dog power slam, getting the heels the win, 15 minutes, 12 seconds. There was a few things on this match that came to mind. And one, you know, we I had talked about the camera work. Is it There was one point where Sawyer hits Coco with the forearm, knocks him to the floor on the left side of the ring, so the cameraman films the right side of the ring, which <laughs> I thought was kind of bizarre. And then... You know, you you had talked about the Italian Stallion coming in for supposedly the hot tag, and I was thinking, like, where are they going with this? You know, you got the, the bear hug. And if you're Coco, can you be real excited knowing your lifeline is the Italian Stallion, you know, to come save the day? And and I don't know if they thought he was going to blow the roof off the building with the hot tag. And th- this match went about 10 minutes longer than it needed to, you know. And oh, it's, yeah. it's a shame that – we got so little of the Doc Taylor tag match earlier on to be able to see, and then we get 15 minutes of this, and yeah, this this just went way way too long, and you know that they miss the spots on, on certain spots of of action, but yet they show Bobby Fulton's you know rear end, and I'm like, come on, the, the camera work could have been a lot better, you know. I'm I'm glad they put it up on Peacock so we could see it, but some of the camera work really had you scratching your head what they were looking at. This may have been the day that the Stallion set the world spaghetti eating record because he was just a little lethargic in the ring here. And when he went to get up for that, <laughs> that leapfrog to turn it into that Mad Dog power slam that we're accustomed to seeing, he didn't get nearly up enough. And Mad Dog has to like basically catch him a foot off the ground. Not that Buzz can't do it, but he had to just power him over from there all the way over without any help into that power slam to even, you know, do the finish here, which Extremely impressive, even though I wasn't shocked, whatever. But the heels advance into the second round to beat the number two seed, Magnum TA and Ronnie Garvin, later here in the same afternoon show. And another very bland, basic match. The heels, they're beasts, no doubt about it. Steiner and Buzz Sawyer, but nothing spectacular in general here. Longest match of the night, unfortunately. But this was mostly just laying around on the mat. It was either the side headlock or the bear hug on the ground. And this is what I don't get, you know, Shivani confirmed my suspicions that Coco and the Stallion had never teamed together. Right. No. So you're telling us that on home video. They've never teamed together, but yet they're able to take Buzz Sawyer and Steiner, you know, 15 minutes. And I just, how prestigious of a tournament can it be when somebody like Coco and Stallion are in it? You know, like, I, I don't know. That That's just, I know they needed 24 teams, but wow, they could have done without those two being a pairing. Yeah, they could have done the old school gimmick of these guys have worked together in the past. These guys have had some uh, recent wins. Uh, you know, make it, exactly. uh, they, had a, they had a tour of Japan, anything like that. Instead of Tony doing the old, uh, they've never teamed before. How prestigious can the tournament be? 
when it's the top 24 seeds uh, tag team, supposedly, in all of professional wrestling. Now, we know Vince has a few up there, Bulldogs, Hearts, or, or whatever, and not just there, but other other territories as well still at this point. But it's just odd that you would announce that one of the teams out of the in the tournament were a makeshift team. They were just thrown together. And how they got there, I have no idea. And if it was two superstars... You could see it, you know, like like later on, you have a Garvin and a TA, you know, at least those were two big names. Coco and the Stallion? And to go 15 minutes to give them so much time, this should have been one that Sawyer and Steiner should have squashed them in three, four minutes. This should have been one that should have been on the home video where, you know, two, three minutes and that was it. You know, based, that should have been the whole match. Based on the match, the preliminary names involved in regards to Steiner still up and comer, but also... Uh, Coco's doing okay for himself in the UWF, but Italian Stallion, where he's at, it's really odd. This just felt like it would be an opener. Even it, The match was even built like an opener outside of that suplex on the floor, which was just, I'm sure, a buzz, you know, audible. But outside of that, I, there was really nothing to it. It was a lot of laying around the ring. It felt like an opening match, and it's coming on seventh here and the night on the card. So, again, I wish this had been one of the first five matches. I would have taken any of those prior three. Yeah, yeah, definitely. If uh it was one of those ones where if I was in attendance, if Sawyer wasn't in it, I definitely would have been running up to go get some popcorn, you know. But with Sawyer around, yeah, I probably would have stayed in my seat to see what happened. see what he's going to do to these guys, right? <laughs> we go on. We got one more match here in the first round. Another odd pairing here. Black Bart teaming with gorgeous Jimmy Garvin, precious by his side, taking on the UWF team of Dave Peterson and Brett Wayne Sawyer, another prelim team here in the UWF. Another Sawyer in action, so we just saw Buzz advance, and uh, we'll see if Brett can do the same here in round one as we started out. Brett Wayne go on the go here, taking on Black Bart, taking him down several times, some flying head scissors. Is Peterson going to hold Bart down? And Brett coming off with a flying top rope, nice leg drop off the top onto Bart's arm. And then they do the same spot again, only this time it's Brett coming off with a top rope knee drop. Boy, these Sawyers utilizing that top rope rule here in JCP. And that's something I had in my notes. I don't ever remember Brett going to the top ropes the way he did for the aerial moves. You know, he he hit the flying head scissors at one point. He came off the top rope with a leg drop, a knee drop. Like, I don't remember Brett Wayne ever being a high flyer. I think it was just, you know, it was time to, to showcase yourself. And uh, that's what he came out here to do to the best of his abilities. But the heels, they're finally going to take over on Brett. Jimmy Garving, though, going to telegraph a backdrop, eat a Sawyer knee lift. Good spot there. And it's hot tag time to Dave Peterson and Black Bart. Bart eats a big backdrop, but holds on to the ropes, causing Peterson to miss a drop kick. And then Bart dropping that big trash compactor leg drop before tagging back to Jimmy Garvin, who finishes Peterson off with the ugliest brain buster I've ever seen. Garvin going to take the win six minutes and seven seconds. So, it's the JCP makeshift team of Jimmy Garvin and Black Bart advancing over the lower-level UWF team of Peterson and Brett Wayne Sawyer. So Garvin and Bart, in the next round, they're going to take on the team of the Giant Baba and Tiger Mask. You know, and, and that brain buster, like, he didn't get high. I don't know what happened there. It was very weird. You know, maybe Garvin was sweaty like Earl Hebner was earlier or something, but yeah, he, that was not a typical Jimmy Garvin brain buster. No, Garvin knew what he was doing. I mean, that was his finisher. So clearly, you know, he, he knew what he was doing and something just went wrong there. I don't know what it was. I don't know just the timing or what, like you said, what the deal was, but the match only went six minutes. In fact, the next, that match and the next match go fairly short. So 
they could have given these guys a little more time and maybe a little less to that uh, Italian Stallion matchup, but I digress. That's in the past now. We're rolling on, guys. Second round. Well, you know what? Before we do that, just think about this for a minute. Jimmy Garvin and Black Bart versus the Giant Baba and Tiger Mask. What an interesting second round this is going to be. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, that's interesting, to say the least. <laughs> it's definitely interesting. But you guys don't have to wait until the next episode of Regional Wrestling to kick off the second round. we got a couple of second round matches for you here this week on the show. Guys, going to close out with two matches from the second round here on the first event of the Crockett Cup 86. And it all kicks off with the NWA Tag Team Champions, number three seed, the Midnight Express, Loverboy Dennis and Beautiful Bobby with Jim Cornette by their side, taking on Sam Houston and Nelson Royal. They're back here from earlier defeating the Batten Twins in round one. And the match gets going. The Midnight Express working over Houston. Condry in a, in delivering a nasty clothesline. Great bump, as usual, by young Michael Samuel Houston, as uh, David Crockett would say. Royal, though, going to tag in, leading to a brief four-way melee but as Nelson has control of Condry in an abdominal stretch, the referee's back turn to get Houston out of the ring. It's Bobby Eaton off the top rope from behind, leveling Royal for the Midnight Express to steal the win in very quick fashion. Match went one minute and 46 seconds. I almost felt like Royal was supposed to kick out here, but I guess not. I, I thought the match came off a little bit better on the home video version for some reason, you know, but yeah, uh, it, it did. Yeah, I was just going to say, it's always nice to see the World Tag Team Champion Midnight Express. And, uh, you know, I guess it kind of makes sense for them to have a shorter match because they're going to wrestle later on and, you know, keep them fresh or whatnot. And then if they are the world champs, they shouldn't be struggling with a team like Houston and Royal. So I, I thought it, it showed them in a good light. I kind of jumped the gun when I was taking my notes during this match. Eaton came off, and I had already seen the col- the home video version at this point, so I should have known better, Roman. But... Uh, Eaton comes off and nails uh, Nelson Royal from behind. In the next sentence, I'm already writing ahead. I'm like, and you know, the Midnight's cut him off. And then it's like one, two, three. I'm like, oh, I gotta erase that sentence and write. You know, it was the finish instead. <laughs> it, it wasn't the it wasn't the heat segment. It was just the finish of the match. I didn't see it coming. I was like, wow, I did not see that coming. I wrote in my notes. It was like they they looked at the clock and just did whatever they needed to do with the time left on the show for that first event. A letdown here for me. I wanted to see more of the Midnight Express, but uh, they're saving it for later, obviously, as you just said. You have to make your number three seed look strong for the overall night's event. So nevertheless, it's off to the quarterfinals for the Midnight Express. Yeah, and you know, like you said, it. The clock, you know, dictates everything. I'm sure the wrestlers wanted to get a bite to eat between the second show and let the fans go home and take a shower or whatever. So, you know, maybe at this point in the day, they were getting kind of close towards uh, the ending of the of the card. So, hey, let's make these let's make this match a little quicker. And uh, we're going to close out the first uh, event of the day here for the Crockett Cup. One more second round match. Going to see the number two seed Magnum T.A. and the hands of stone Ron Garvin take on didn't we just see these two mad dog buzz sawyer and rick steiner well they got ripped off they were just out here what was it three matches ago not fair nevertheless it's america's team uh for the night they become the can-am express if you will ron garvin canadian magnum ta american so you guys get it but uh not really fair to rick and buzz as i said but it is what it is and not only did their match go 15 minutes but the following two matches combined went about seven so not a lot of rest here for the heels in this one, but the baby faces in control to start. Rick Steiner meets Ronnie Garvin, perhaps for the first time here 
I wrote some bulls in there at this point. I popped when I knew Ronnie Garvin was across the ring from Rick Steiner. My God, talk about some some beef in the ring. The heels take over with mostly just some basic chinlock stuff on Magnum TA in the middle of the matchup, but TA finally able to tag out to Ronnie, who comes in leveling both heels with his hand of stone, even though it's supposed to be broken, and it's taped up, guys, which should make it even nastier, Roman. Yeah, yeah, it would, but uh, it, it comes into play later on. We'll see. We don't, we don't want to give too many spoilers, even right. though uh, the event was from 37 years ago. I was going to say, you know, obviously it changes later in the, in the night, but I was going to say, well, it's made of stone, so maybe he can't feel anything. It's broken. No big deal. He just And then you tape it up and <laughs> makes it even deadlier. It's like a super deadly. How is it even legal? He's, he's just leveling these guys. Not fair, but Ronnie Garvin laying out both of the heels, lighting both of them up before tagging back to Magnum TA. Ronnie Garvin going to send Rick Steiner into the ropes. Drop down. Rick Steiner hops over right into a Magnum TA belly to belly. And you better believe it's over. Magnum scoring the win on Rick Steiner. Five minutes and 17 seconds. So Garvin and Magnum go on into the quarterfinals, thus concluding the afternoon event, 10 matches in the books. You know, and things things I think of as a fan, I thought it was kind of interesting to see Sawyer and T.A. in the ring together. Because, you know, a lot of longtime fans will know a story that Sawyer got paid by T.A. to train him. Right. And then skip town, and, and Magnum had to chase him down in Portland. And so I just thought that was kind of an interesting little tidbit. And Something on commentary that I got a, a kick out of is when the baby faces twice go for a pinfall, and when the heels kick out, Crockett says, "Whose side is that ref on? I think that guy is from their conference, isn't he?" And yeah, I just no, thought that was kind of lame for Crockett to say that. No, I thought it was over the top, but it was still something fun to know. At least, at the very least, at least he was trying. At least he, you know, they came up with something original it wasn't just you know calling a match they they kind of told a little story there that you never really would even thought about oh wait the referees favoring their local talent i didn't even think of that up until i'd never even noticed that on commentary till we're sitting here analyzing the show and i wrote my, my notes for that was too this is the last notes i have on my paper i wrote fun comment during the magnum buzz uh situation in the ring tony and crockett mentioned carl fergie the referee being from the uwf conference inferring that he's allowing the UWF team to get away with some things in the ring, specifically making slow counts when the baby faces attempted to pin Buzz Sawyer. So yeah, I caught that too. It's, it's pretty funny stuff. Again, not, not the greatest stuff, not the greatest material in the world, but I thought to myself, at least they were trying to come up with something. And then to call it a conference. I don't know. That, that's so high school or college to call it a conference, you know, like, come on. Well, everything's but seated so, too. Something so. <laughs> else as a fan. Yeah. Some, something else to, as a fan that, you know, kind of bothered me is that Sawyer and Steiner only got to go five minutes with TA and Garvin, but a team that has never wrestled together, like Coco and Stallion got a 15 minute match with Sawyer and Steiner. Well, I think and it, I, I don't know. Just looking at that, like I would have see T.A. and Garvin go 15 with Sawyer and Steiner. Yeah, I'm, as a I'm, fan. I'm sure Ronnie you know? Garvin didn't want didn't feel like going 15. <laughs> Magna wasn't used to going right. 15 seconds. Not that it's saying that he couldn't, but <laughs> in, in, in general, his, his, his matches didn't need, necessarily need to go much longer than that. But as a fan, I agree with you. <laughs> Give me that for 15 minutes all day over over uh, Italian Stallion Coco beware. No, no offense to Coco, but he just got slated with the wrong partner anyway. But I think maybe the story there is, you know, they're the number two seed, Magnum and Garvin. They're so good. They only needed five minutes, whereas, you know, obviously, you know, it took them guys a little longer to beat Coco and, and Stallion. 
and they were a little more tired, I suppose. I agree with you. I would have loved to have seen that in another, another incarnation, though, this tag, this same exact tag team match. But I loved watching. I don't know what it was about Garvin and Rick Steiner. It was like, well, they probably really hadn't been in the same promotion at the same time up until this point. So I really marked out for that little bit of brief time they were in the ring together because nobody was going to you know, give any or take any quarter there. It was, it was just fun stuff watching two well-known badasses get it on. Yeah, and, and we had talked about it on one of our UWF podcasts, just like the potential that Sawyer and Steiner could have had together had they been able to continue teaming. You know, like that could have been a fun team, you know, down the road to see a Sawyer-Steiner. There's no doubt in my mind they would have gelled had they continued teaming, you know, even six months down the road, a year down the road. That That could have been a very good tag team. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, things happen, obviously, for, for both guys. So, you know, for Rick Steiner, things work out, but Sawyer, maybe not so much. I can't say that's not really his, his own fault in many ways, but I agree with you just looking at all the uh, possibilities of, of a lot of the stuff you were just talking about there. But uh, we got a lot more uh, action to get into on the next episode. When we come back, it's night or not night two, but event number two from the same day for a Crockett Cup 86. We're going to see the rest of the second round, the quarterfinals, the semis, the finals. Of course, Dusty Rhodes challenging Ric Flair for the world title. And, of course, Dick Slater still in town taking on the North American champion Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Slater, the former champion, never really lost the belt. Looking for revenge there, which is pretty a big deal here on our show, specifically because we're covering the UWF promotion in 1986. Yeah, and, uh, you know, for you fans out there also, obviously, as the tournament gets going later and later the matchups end up becoming better you start getting more marquee names you're not getting the hangman bobby jaggers matches the coco and then the stallion matches and you know you see so you're starting to get a little bit better talent as it gets going on and and uh, you're getting some really good matchups that on their own would have headlined a pay-per-view so but to get three, four, five, six really solid matches in one night, you know, it just, it's a lot of fun coming up. So we encourage you guys to uh, stay with us. It's only going to get better. Yeah, no, those, uh, those Coco Stallion teams are all, all, all done with at this point. <laughs> when we move forward, it's Road Warriors. It's Arn and Tully, the Rock and Roll Express. We're going to see more of the Midnights. All Japan. It's Baba and Misawa. I mean, just a lot of cool stuff coming up here. From top to bottom, I'm sure I forgot a few teams in between there, but just a lot of great teams upcoming. Looking forward to covering those matches in the next edition of Regional Wrestling here as this two-part Crockett Cup event will continue. And, and this has been a lot of fun, the fact that Peacock made it available. So you fans can watch it, you know, and, and see whether you agree with our comments or not or get your own opinion and watch it. And plus it's fun to see the action a whole match you know after years of watching the videotape oh that's what i was missing i wow that was good or this match wasn't as good as i thought it was it's nice to see the whole thing play out and in a perfect world it'd be nice to have commentary for the whole match but hey at least we got it you know and thank goodness for the peacock network for finally putting that out there yeah and i want to thank you for that reminder roman too before we go i just want to plug once again my patreon account because up right now a special bonus video drop 4.5 hours of video an excellent complimentary piece to this and our next episode covering Crockett Cup 86. Fans of the Crockett Cup, fans of this era will not be disappointed in the bonus video drop up there right now as part of the $5 all-access tier at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. But for now, guys, we're going to hit the road 
but we'll be back soon with the second half of Crockett Cup 86. Until then, Roman, I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you for recently being part of the 100th episode of The Grenade. I want to thank you again for being here on Regional Wrestling. I know it was a tough trip, both of us getting back here, but it's been great. I've had a fun past couple hours. Oh, it has been great. It has been uh, awesome as always. It's been a pleasure. And uh, anytime I get together with you, Ray, and and do a podcast, it's always a good day. So I appreciate it and uh, can't wait to do the next one. All right. We appreciate you so much, Roman. The listeners out there love when you come on the show, when Jamie Ward comes on the show, whether we're talking Georgia 81 or UWF in 86 and whatever the next projects may be as well. I look forward to uh, continuing to pick your brain and just reliving wrestling history here in the territory era. Roman Gomez, everyone, thank you so much again, Roman, for being on the show. Thank you, and thank you, everybody out there, for listening. We really appreciate it. And all righty, guys, I guess that's going to do it. I want to thank Roman Gomez once again, and we'll be back next time. Roman going to join me one more time to continue on with the Crockett Cup Session 2, the evening event. We're going to look at the rest of the second round, the quarterfinals, the semis, the finals. Dusty Rhodes challenging Ric Flair for the NWA World Heavyweight title. And, of course, the UWF fans looking forward to Hacksaw Jim Duggan defending that North American title against Dirty Dick Slater. And as we close the show this week, just a special shout-out to all my patrons, a shout-out to the other ship. And I want to say hello to Jamie Ward out there somewhere. If you're listening, I know you're on vacation right now. I hope you're enjoying it, Jamie and family. Jamie going to return before too long. Football season's coming soon. I know we both have some fantasy drafts coming up, Jamie. But looking forward to your return here on the show to talk more Georgia Championship Wrestling. But for now, me and Roman Gomez deep into this Crockett Cup event. One show down, one to go. It's the big one coming up next time. One million dollars on the line. Crockett Cup 86 going to be a fun time covering the second half of the event. Lots of big teams coming up that we didn't see in the first half of the show. The Russians, the Rock and Rolls, the Road Warriors, Baba and Tiger Mask. So much upcoming next time around. I want to thank you guys again for tuning in. Once again, I am Ray Russell. Follow me on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. And we'll be back soon with more of Crockett Cup 86 here on Regional Wrestling, where we talk the territories. Mm-hmm.